of four kids. If you're a father or a grandfather, would you stand? Some of you are like, I just got comfortable. Stay standing. You watch a video like that and you realize that uh, we have a journey. Some of us are at the beginning of that journey. Some of us are moving through that journey. I just got done with my last child in high school, so I'm excited about that. And some of us, as grandfathers, we look back on our opportunity to be able to nurture the grandkids and then send them home, which is always easier. But um, I would like us to just pray for our dads today. Will you join me? Our Heavenly Father, in this moment in time, through your Holy Spirit, We just ask for your anointing and blessing to be upon the fathers and the grandfathers in this room. Lord, we know not the challenges of each of them or the families represented here. But Lord, you know. And you have called them and you have equipped them. And you have come alongside of them to be that good and faithful shepherd. The one who strengthens and guides, the one who corrects, sometimes rebukes, the one who sustains and supports and brings provision, the one who is the teacher, the one who is the heroic individual to step in and intervene in a situation. Lord, for all the things that fathers journey through in life and maybe just this last week or what's before them this week ahead, we pray your blessing upon the dads and the granddads who are here. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we get to mirror your loving protection and guidance with our families that you provide for us. And so now, Lord, as we step into your word, we just pray for your blessing. May your spirit rightly divide your word through this letter of First Peter that we've been in. And may you apply it to our hearts in particular for all of us here this morning. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So some of you are pretty excited about today, not because it's Father's Day, but because um, we actually are coming to the end of the series that we have been in in 1 Peter. And we have been in this series in 1 Peter for, I don't know, a while, right? And uh, we called it Unshackled, if I can, maybe my clicker's not working here. Um, There we go. I'm not Unshackled, Unshakable. Hope in uncertain times. And we mentioned that this is a letter. We had the beginning of the letter. Today we have the ending of the letter. And so I'd like to read the very ending of this letter. It's a personal letter. And uh, he wrote it to a group of people. But he also had some individuals in mind uh, that he was reflecting upon. And he says this simply in verse 12 of chapter 5. With the help of Silas whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in the city of Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. And then verse 14, important verse, you ready? It says this, Greet one another with a kiss of love. So we're going to repeat our turn and greet time now, and you're going to give a kiss rather than a handshake. How about that? No, aren't you glad you don't have to do the kiss kind of deal, but that's a you know, kind of acknowledgement. But that goes to show you some of the endearment that was a part of this letter. 
greet each other with a holy kiss, that warm greeting one to another. But this letter, which started out many months ago for us, now it seems like, is a letter that's directed to groupings of people. And we're going to see the importance of that in just a second. But I want us to realize as we look at this that the letter itself is um, something that would have been written by hand by a scribe maybe or somebody that was taking notes for him. Maybe that last part personally written by Peter's hand himself. Paul was definitely that way in his letters. He would have somebody else sort of write them as he's maybe spoke them or whatever, and then he would finish them out. But whenever you have a letter, what happens towards the end of the letter? Now, some of you are like, I don't do letters, Carrie. I mean, like emails, texts, I don't even know if I do those things anymore, right? Well, in the old times with letters, you would sort of get towards the end, right? And then you would remember some of the things, oh, I I need to tell them this and tell them that or give that update about this person, that situation, and you'd sort of cram it all in. And all of us have done this. You've got like the cards that you write for somebody, maybe as a graduation card, maybe it's a, you know, a wedding well wish or something like that. It gets down to the bottom and you're running out of space. And what do you do? Do not go back before and write it somewhere because that confuses all of us. Cram it in right there, right? Little print there, right up along the side, this, 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 and this. Well, what we're going to experience today as we finish out First Peter, we're going to be in chapter 5, is that he's got some of these thoughts and he's, he's sort of like pinning them and trying to get them uh, in at the last moment for us to hear. So you're going to have to hang with me as we walk through some of these last minute exhortations that he gives. I've entitled today, The Shepherd's Touch. And The Shepherd's Touch is, um, comes from what we're going to be seeing um, in the part that uh, is there um, related, you know, sometimes I'm up here. I'll just give you a little clue. Sometimes I'm up here. This is a new feature that they have. And there's a flashing light that appears on my screen that tells me to do something, like untuck my shirt or pull the wire. Yeah? And what's happening is I'm now getting a green flashing light that says, please dismiss the middle school kids because we forgot to do it. So if you're a middle school kid and you're still in here, you need to leave. But the reason I got the green flashing light was because Pastor Zach forgot to do it. So it's really not my part. And I got you on that one. So anyway, so Like, if you ever want me to button it down and shorten it up, just go back there to Kayla's Running Sound today, and she'll type it in. Cut it off. Finish up. Finish Something like that. (laughs) Little inside lead there of those kinds of things. So, anyway, having said that, um, the um, passage we're looking at is in 1 Peter 5, and these are the five things that he sort of scribbled along the side that I want us to look at. He's going to talk about the flock, the shepherds, the disposition, the danger, and the glory. All right? So you got those five things as he's finishing out this letter, and we're going to jump into them, and we're going to look at them each in their own important place for us here on this Father's Day. So the shepherd's touch, and it applies to this whole idea that he says that there is a flock. There is a flock. This is critical for us in individual uh, an individualistic culture like America. Everything's about you. Everything's about me. We do not necessarily live in a culture that's us or we. 
But in biblical times, and as is true from the teachings of Christ, the idea that there are just individuals is superseded by the idea that there is a community of individuals who are followers and seekers of Jesus. So each one of us have to come redemptively to place our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a personal decision. But that personal decision then sort of catapults us into a community, a new family, a flock of sheep that are addressed continually throughout scriptures and changes the course and the trajectory of your life. And we see this by passages right off the bat where it says this in 1 Peter 5.1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. God's flock. That's who this letter is addressed to. In fact, if you were to go back to the first part of the letter, if you want to turn there, remember this. This is how the letter started. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. He's talking to little groups of sheep. Now, we don't think too much about sheep or shepherds today because that's not our culture. It was interesting, though, where this church uh, was at nine years ago when I came to pastor. It was over on uh, Hunter Road in Winchester. And at that time, they still had the sheep that would be brought in to graze in certain areas like you have up in Winchester, around through there. All of us maybe have seen them. They just bring sheep into different fields, right? They bring the water trucks in, and the guys are making sure that they're there, and they'll, they'll eat anything, so they're, you know, they're down for the count kind of deal. And so the sheep make a flock. The flock analogy is being placed before us as a community of people. The importance, as he's finishing it out, is saying be mindful to take care of the flock. And we, as part of the flock, as sheep in the fold of the shepherd, the chief shepherd for sure, but the shepherds that God places around us spiritually, need to be able to take care of one another. You see, the Christian faith is not something you can do as an individual. Oh, I have an individual faith. There's a lot of people disenchanted by church. Maybe people that are watching online today, I know maybe you couldn't make it to church, that's fine. But the gathering of the flock is not something that's a high priority for a lot of people. And then some people get church hurt. We've talked about that in this series. And they just say, I'm done. I'm just going to practice my faith on my own. Individual. That's not what the scriptures teach. In fact, it's a little harsh because it's like um, you telling somebody that you love them, but you hate their body. Or you have no interest in the rest of them. Jesus is the head of his church, his community. He's the chief shepherd. But the idea that I, I, I'm just sort of going to disconnect from the body. I'm good. 
You can practice Buddhism, you can practice Hinduism, you can have your own American individualized spirituality. I'm just sort of a spiritual person, but I'm not into the church stuff. You can do that, but to really be a Christ follower, you have to be connected and part of the flock, his body. And it's a discipline, is it not? to choose to be a part of God's body. Some of you have been in seasons of your life where you were sort of disconnected from God's body, and you've made a point to say, you know, I'm going to get reconnected at the church. Why? Because we're so great? No, we make mistakes all the time, like forgetting to dismiss middle school kids, right? But it's the idea that we need to love all of Jesus Christ. And to love all of Jesus Christ is to love his church. But here's the reality. In loving his church and being a part of God's flock, you are now a part of a family that has dysfunction in it. You know, they, um, it's said that you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Is that true? Well, that's sort of true. You're born in this world. You got your family. That's who it is, man. You can't just say, can I have a redo, a mulligan on that? I want, I want to try over. No, you have your family and your family, sometimes you have to bump shoulders. You rub. Well, guess what? God's family is no different because we are all on a journey. In fact, I think this is a good just reminder for us this morning is that this, the church is not a club for nearly perfect saints. I think I have that on the slide. Your club, the church is not a club for nearly perfect saints. The church is a hospital for recovering sinners and broken people. Should we say that out loud? Well, let's say that out loud. Here we go. Ready? The church... We're going to have to breathe, wake up, we're good. All right, here we go. The church is not a club for nearly perfect saints. The church is a hospital for recovering sinners and broken people. That's hard for us. Because we want to come to a place that's sort of a showcase for perfect people. But just like your family, what you are individually, you end up bringing into the flock. So if you have um, tendencies to be maybe arrogant, if you have tendencies uh, with a, a disposition that uh, is sort of edgy or problematic at times, we bring those individualistic things into the community we have. Now, God's working for us. We're recovering sinners, and he's healing us as broken people. We're on a journey. But if I could just share this with you up front, if you've ever gone through church hurt or you're disillusioned or disconnect with church, maybe you're back in church today for the first time giving it a shot, just have realistic expectations. We're all a part of a family on a journey. Some of us have crossed that line of faith of being Christ followers, and others of us are seeking out what that would really mean in our life. So the first thing he says is to have um, an understanding that we are a part of a flock, and a church is a localized group of Christ followers who are living and doing life and ministry together. And it's a part of our calling and our discipline to be not just regular attenders on a Sunday, 
but to be involved in community during the week. See, you can be a part of a Sunday and just be a mere spectator, right? That's great music. Love the banjo, the song today. That's good. Carrie's got a few good thoughts I take away with me. I'll see you all next week, right? But that's not being a part of the body of Christ. Being a part of the body is loving and serving and being a part of one another. We have life groups here. We have other kinds of groups. Part of that is just us trying to interact and live and do life together. To celebrate with those who are celebrating, to mourn with those who are mourning, to be able to uphold and encourage one another, to pray for one another, to provide for one another. That is God's plan for you as a Christ follower. The Christian faith is not an individualistic pursuit. There's the individual part of it and profession of faith, but you choose to weigh in to be able to be a part of the body of Christ, warts and all. How many of you are excited about that? Well, I don't know. I tell you what, and we're going to see it a little bit later. The adversary's goal is to keep you isolated and away from church community. And you have all kinds of reasons because you can tell about different sinners that are still in repair work that offended you or hurt you or the problem it is to reorganize your schedule to get there because there's more important things to do. I'm always surprised what happens with a Father's Day. This is going to, probably going to sound bad. I'm glad all the fathers are here, grandfathers, those who are online, that kind of thing. But normally dads aren't like, yeah, I want to go to church on Father's Day. It's like, no, I want to do some other things, right? It's a discipline to say, I'm here, my kids are involved in being a part of things. And not just to be a part in showing up and engaging in one another's life, but to serve in one another's life, to be a part of it. So this final exhortation, he's saying to the leaders, but really what's a part of it then is this understanding that you have a flock, and to have a flock, the leaders come into play with it. So the flock, and now we're going to look at the shepherds. It said that there are elders, that there are elders uh, among you. And I appeal to you as a fellow elder, Peter is saying, uh, as a witness of God's suffering, who will also share in his glory to be revealed. He's saying, I I identify with this. And then he goes on in verse uh, 2 to say this, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. So we have the flock But then in the flock, God sort of orchestrates some people who are uh, overseers, who are shepherds. And the shepherds are to watch for the sheep and protect the sheep. It goes on, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Now, one of the problems that was happening sometimes, and it happens in churches, that maybe has happened in your life if you sought to serve the body of Christ, is you grow weary and you lose track of the vision. And you end up serving out of duty rather than out of passion. How many of you have been there? You started passionate for something, and then after a while, it's like, Oh, I got to do that again. I got to run that Bible study. I got to serve in that kid's ministry, whatever it may be. There's the tendency to move away from the vision of being an elder, an overseer, a shepherd of God's people. And you become disgruntled easily. And he says, don't serve because you must, but because you are willing God wants you to do this. He's wired you to do this. He's gifted you to do this. Are you on the outside looking in? I'll let everybody else take care of everything else. Jump in, be a part, ask God to give you a passion to serve him. 
many of you are familiar with the term a calling. And a pastor sometimes or somebody in ministry says, I have a calling to be in ministry. Well, I would not be up here in front of you today if it was not for a calling that God gave to me in my life. There are many other expansive things I could have done business-wise, family farm corporation, other kinds of things. But God gave me a calling. And I was concerned about this as a young person because I knew that there would be hard knocks ahead if you did full-time vocational ministry. And I said, Lord, I... I will serve you. You have all these little bargains with God, right? I will serve you if you bring me to a place where I have to do this. Well, he probably laughed at that prayer. And he had me a part of a student ministry that just blew doors and some other cool things happening. And I was so engaged as a young adult with what God was doing and transforming and changing lives in the kingdom's picture that I got to this place where I said, I could do this, this, and this, but... I have to do this. I have to do this. So that passion was there. I have to be a shepherd. I have to be an overseer of God's flock. But now, on that journey of 35 years that I've been a shepherd overseeing God's flock, have there been days in my life, you can ask my wife, where we look at each other and we go, why do we do this? You bet. Because you can grow weary in being one who does the ministry. But I ask the Lord to renew my heart so that I as a shepherd am serving out of passion and not out of duty. That's why the relationship with Jesus is so critical for each one of us. And it doesn't mean that you always have to be raw, raw, I'm so excited about this. But there's a discipline in our life to say, Lord, I am choosing to do this as I am willing, not because I must And if you're one of those people right now this morning going, I'm in one of those, I've got to do this, I must. Just renew your heart for the Lord and ask his Holy Spirit to bring a fresh sense of calling in your life. Because I believe God's called all of us in one sense to be over uh, seers, watchers of God's flock. The shepherd does what? He protects, he guides, he directs, he pulls back, he rescues people. You know, if we were all to go, um, let's just take this group right here. And we go hiking up in the Santa Ana Mountains, out in the wilderness on some pathways. Maybe I should have said the Palomar Mountain because of the men's camping thing, right? And we're all there together and we're saying, we're just going to head out through this wilderness part. It would probably be advisable if we divided up in groups. Remember how you did this in school or you did little field trips and you say, all right, we're going to number off now. One, two, three, four, five, six, right? I got 10, right? We're going to take 10. Or if you're real little kids, you know, you got a rope and you're hanging on the rope. And so if we are to go on this excursion in the wilderness, all right, of some of the mountains around here, it would be wise, would it not, to go in groups, in flocks, Because we can protect and guide and care for one another. But what happens, right, if one strays away? We're going to have our antennas up to say, don't do that. There could be rattlesnakes. There could be mountain lions. Is that right? So the shepherd is guiding and watching and overseeing the flock. And he's saying, make sure that you're doing it with a passion and a heart and actual intent of being an overseer. 
He goes on then and says, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Those who serve in full-time vocational ministry, they have to make a decision pretty well up front how important money is to them. But guess what? All of us have to make that decision in life. How important is money to you versus other things that God has called you to maybe that could bring fulfillment and purpose in your life? So he instructs them to be mindful of dishonest gain eager to serve. And then he adds one more in there. He says, not lording it over them, the people that are in the flock that's entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, the context of this is basically saying that do not lord it over them. Do not tell other people to do things that you were not doing. Because that's hypocrisy. So as you guide, as you're a shepherd... Serve out of the passion. Make sure you're serving not for a dishonest game, but for the right purposes before God. And as you're serving, don't be a hypocrite. You lead that life as an example before others. And then he just adds, and when the chief shepherd appears. Can I pause right here? Because it is Father's Day, right? It is Father's Day, and so we can have this in the context of the church. But we are called to be shepherds because we have a chief shepherd, a heavenly father who guides and guards our life. Men, this morning, you've been given a beautiful opportunity in your life. Even if the kids have been sick this week, even if the finances aren't coming together, even if there's insecurities in your own life that you've not told anyone else about, you've been given a great opportunity to shepherd your family. You know, there's a lot of things that come and go in life. Wealth can come and wealth can disappear. Extended relationships and friendships can come and they can be transitioned to different seasons of life. But you will always have your family. Now maybe it's an estranged family. Maybe some of you this morning have family that you've not even spoken to in a while. Maybe you've had a child, a son, or a daughter who sort of turned their backs towards you. But that does not exclude them from your family. They are flesh and blood. And you as a father, as a grandfather, maybe you're an uncle, right? Maybe you're just a friend of uh, a friend's kids. and that You have been entrusted with a beautiful opportunity to be a shepherd. And the shepherd's touch that was given to us from the chief shepherd, we are to pass on with others. There was a young boy here this morning that I had never met before, and then I found out from Steve, who's been playing some guitar for us, that it's his grandson. And he came really early at 7 o'clock to be with Grandpa. His Grandpa was practicing. And I met him out in the commons area. And I had to smile, Steve, because your relationship into that grandson's life will have a lasting impact. You are giving a shepherd's touch just by saying, hey, Get ready. Come with me this morning to church. 
as I play. Don't ever let anything else supersede your calling to be a shepherd in your home. And take on the reordering of your life, your schedules, your resources, whatever it may be, to be able to give devoted attention. They say one of the greatest problems in our culture today is what? Absentee fathers. If you take the statistics of prison, it's absentee fathers. Because there's other things that we can do or maybe we just get awkward as dads and we don't know how to minister to a certain season and a time and a particular problem in someone's life. Maybe it's a son or a daughter or a grandkid that were like, I don't know, I don't know what to do. You know, you don't have to have all the answers. But I tell you what you do need to have. You need to have presence. Consistent presence in their life. And even as they grow older and they get out of the household, right? Uh, And sometimes they don't want your advice. I understand that. But you need to have some relationship attack because they may, may very well need your advice or your encouragement. And if they won't take your advice or your encouragement, there's something they can never, ever take away from you. And that is your ability to pray and intercede for your son, your daughter, your grandchild. I am without question here today Ministering for God through all these years as a direct result of prayers of my father and my mother. I would walk into the bedroom sometimes. Oops, sorry, Dad. And my father would be on his knees praying beside his bed. And I was on that list, I'm sure. Because there's times I needed to be on that list. So you can be engaged. You can write notes of encouragement. I know a father who uh, his son was uh, incarcerated. Good reason, bad reason, rightly, justly. It was sort of an unknown deal, but it was a hard journey. And one of their parents just chose every day to write that person a letter, their child a letter in that confinement system, even though they never heard back from them. You can take initiatives to be a shepherd and give a shepherd's touch in your homes, fathers, even when there seems like there's no way. Pray, love, somehow communicate. And if they are engaged with you, let's take some time. I'm right there with all of you. How do I get more time and margin? You know, um, next Sunday, uh, I'm taking Melissa and two of our kids, and we're going to family camp in the Rocky Mountains, deep camp. So remember when we gave that opportunity. Well, deep camp's here next week. And uh, my daughter was like, Dad, is this going to be lame? (laughs) Well, it's a really good camp, and there's really fired up people for Jesus, and it's the premier camping place in the Rocky Mountains. It's the YMCA Snowy Mountain Camp, and there's all kinds of stuff to do. But I'm like, no, it's not going to be lame. Now, she may end up thinking it's lame when it's all done, but we're going to be together, and we're going to build family time. We're going to build family time around the focus of Christ and his work and the calling upon all of us to be servants of him. It's with a ministry called Forge, which is hearts on fire, lives on purpose, 
And I think it's going to be a great, great week at family camp. But you know what? Family camp's not been something that's been on our schedule as a family. Most of our life, we would do excursions here or there. But I'm like, this is an opportunity. We're going to take it. We're going to build it. Because time flies by. And we don't have all the time in the world to be shepherds of our kids. But we have to make the time. We have to take the priorities. We have to lean into it. If I was to ask you to pause for 30 seconds right now, and I'm not going to, what would the Holy Spirit say to you, dads and moms, aunts and uncles, grandma and grandpas, related to how you need to shepherd the flock under your care on this Father's Day? We're not perfect. We mess up. Every kid in here could give credence to that. We could give credence concerning our own parents. But let's be at it to shepherd God's flock And the immediate flock that's before us is our family. So with that, I want to move through the other three. We've got the flock. We've got the shepherds. And now he talks about a disposition in shepherding and those who are being shepherded. He says this in 1 Peter 5. In the same way you... Who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. Now he's referring to all of you, not just those who are in the flock, being shepherd, the youngers, but all of us. Clothe yourselves, put humility on towards one another. Because it says, and he quotes an Old Testament scripture, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humility is the ability not to think less of yourself, but to not think of yourself at all. Have you ever thought about the characteristic of humility? It's pretty hard to go after and know when you've succeeded. Because the moment you say you've succeeded in being humble, you're now no longer humble, right? I think it was the evangelist D.L. Moody that prayed, God, make me humble, but may I not know it. Right? Humble is that your focus is not on yourself. Your focus is on others. And so he's exhorting those who are part of the flock concerning the elders, their overseers, not to be arrogant. I know things my way. And trust me, especially as we're raising our youngers, right? They all think you know nothing at a certain stage in your life, right? And it sort of flips on a switch like... Mom, dad, you don't know anything, right? And then as they get older, they start to realize, oh, I guess maybe you did know a few things. We're all going to grow through seasons, but the younger, the part of the flock is saying, hey, for those who are shepherds or overseers in the body of Christ, make sure that you walk in a spirit of humility, not one of arrogance or self-centeredness. For God opposes the proud, but he shows favor upon the humble. And then he says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, before God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due times. He will lift you up. It's not your responsibility to lift yourself up. Humble yourselves, therefore, before God, his mighty hand, that you may be lifted up in due time. And then I love this last phrase because this last phrase has really been helpful for me in my journey of being part of the flock and having overseers 
whether it's my parents or being able to have other wise watchmen that have guided and guarded, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The chief shepherd is God himself. He has placed other shepherds around us. And the idea of casting your cares on him is the idea of somebody maybe that has been on a long hike and their backpack is heavy and they finally get to the end of the trail and they just take it off and they throw their backpack down and they rest and relax. I'm done carrying the burden and the anxiety. And there's this visual I've carried in my mind, especially when I've had times of anxiety as a follower or as a shepherd, where I have to release my burden and throw it down. My cares, my anxiety, I can't care enough. I need to cast it upon him. In fact, there was a song that used to say, cast all your cares upon him. Lay all your burdens down at his feet. And any time when you don't know what to do, I will cast all my cares upon you. Some of you today, that's your verse for today. He's writing notes as he's finishing out the letter. Hey, and remember, remember not to carry that anxiety with you, but cast your cares upon you for the chief chief shepherd is overseeing and he's going to take care of that situation, that person, that problem, that financial need. He is the one that you cast your cares upon because he cares for you. Because he's the shepherd and he has that touch and he desires for you to be a person who walks with a disposition, not of anxiety, but a disposition of humility and love and grace and peace. And those are byproducts of his presence living within us. And so as he's scribbling out his final notes, there's this idea of a flock. You're part of a flock. Make sure that you live and love together. Stay connected. Make it a priority. Shepherds, as you're part of a shepherd, make sure that you're overseeing and being watchful. And then the disposition, especially if you're under shepherds, the disposition to, to make sure that you're walking in humility. And then out of the blue, to some degree, he comes up with this fourth one. It's the danger. The danger. And I, I really could take several weeks on this. But he says this. Be alert. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What? Well, it's like us being that group of 10 or however we've broken up and we're walking through the mountain trails and all of a sudden someone just sort of wanders off by themselves. What do we do as part of the flock? We say, see you later. Have a good trip down the other side of the mountain. Middle schooler? No. What would we do? As a shepherd, we would go and grab and say, don't, don't go that way. Here, stay with the pack. We're watching out for one another. Why? Because when we get off the path of life, it can happen so easy. There is a literal devil and his demons, his minions, his fallen angels that work with him that want to do something. And it's eat you. Like a mountain lion would eat you. Or a rattlesnake would poison you. He wants to tear your life apart. 
So when the shepherds around you, maybe your father, your parents say, oh, don't go there, stay away from that. It's not like they're trying to kill your joy or put you in a straitjacket to keep you away from the fun. They're trying to protect best they can to guide and guard because they know, as we should know as part of the body of Christ, there is a real devil and he is out to devour people. And the interesting thing here, looking for someone uh, to devour, it's not just the individual that can get eaten by the mountain lion or snake bitten. It is the body that can do that. Just like a family can be bitten and head south. So a church family, even a life group, is like, hey, what's going on here? Why does that gossip? Why that animosity? Why that anger? Why that indifference? Why is this coming out in our group setting? Yeah, we need to talk about it, but all of a sudden we got this us versus them thing going on. Well, those people at the church or them or those leaders, you're like, where does that come from? Friends, that's the devil in the middle going, I want them to devour one another. (laughs) If you saw him and you saw his workers and they were to unmask themselves, might be haunting, but it'd be frightening and it would be shocking to wake us up. I see an awful lot of devouring happening in Christian circles today. In evangelical church movements, mainline church movements, splits, divides, and yeah, there's important issues, biblical issues that are dividing people. But the adversary steps back and goes, look at them, I don't even have to devour them. They're eating up one another. Be mindful of division. And be mindful of division in your home, fathers. That division may not be you proving your point or making sure the other person or that child is... It, it, it may be the adversary at work. Be mindful. And so he puts in one of his last instructions. is not just about the flock and the shepherds and the disposition that we need to carry, but the danger. Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is what you are to do. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Your faith. The faith of scriptures. Somebody eating your child. Somebody taking them down. You don't even have a means to communicate with them because they've disconnected from you. You can resist the enemy through prayer. Pray strategically. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray protection over my daughter. Enemy, you have no rights. You were defeated at the cross, and I take my stand with Christ in the cross, and I say, I plead the blood, but what the blood is is the victory of Jesus Christ that brought about defeat. There's a difference between prayer and spiritual warfare. Prayer is asking and interceding with God, communing with Him. Spiritual warfare is you resisting the devil through the authority you have as a believer over your child, your son, daughter, grandchild, and say, Lord, you protect them. You put them in a place. I pray for sometimes different individuals during the week. I'll say, I'm praying specifically for you. I'll take on four or five. And when I pray, I pray a lot of times for protection because the enemy wants to devour And then you need to stand firm in your faith. And your faith needs to be a biblical faith. 
grow, become strong, especially as a shepherd and overseer, and make sure that we do not let the devil bring his schemes into our family, into our church, into our personal lives, maybe even into our workplace, that we stand in the victory of Christ. I often say we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. I claim that victory. I resist the devil. I pray prayers of protections. I stand firm in the faith. And I guide and lead and shepherd as best I can. As a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a brother. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. You are not alone in this journey. Peter's been speaking to people who are in suffering, that are scattered in different places throughout Asia Minor, different flocks, and he's saying, be mindful of this. What you're going through in your family, your situation, your life, is not any different than sufferings that are happening with other places. So let's bind up our hearts and our spirits together and stand firm and resist the adversary in all that we do. So we got the flock, we got the shepherd, we got the disposition, we got the danger, and now we get to end on something that's a bit more encouraging on Father's Day. And that has to do with the glory. The glory. He's saying, look ahead. Look ahead as to what's before you. Be mindful of this as you journey in the faith. And as you provide in your home. If we go back to the first verse, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder with witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. What's the glory to be revealed? All of God's power and protection and beauty and glory. Yes, on the final day, but that glory is happening now in different pockets. It said this then in verse 4. It said in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. When the Lord Jesus Christ, your shepherd, appears, you get a crown. And thankfully, it doesn't say a crown of gold. Now, some of us might say, well, that gold might be nice. But when I think about really carrying around a crown of gold on my head for eternity, that doesn't really appeal to me. Like, oh, excuse me, put my crown over here, right? He says it's a crown of glory. It's a crown of glory, of victory, of beauty that's found through the one who is the chief shepherd. And then the verse we get to in verse 10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Where's this glory from? He's now said it three times in this passage as he's finishing out. He's saying, hey, if you're going through suffering or what's happened, think about the glory. Remember the glory and the glory comes from God and it's your destiny. And he says this, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. In fact, you said uh, a statement earlier. I want us to say this verse together. Can we say that this is a great verse? And I want us um, to, we're going to add the last part to it, I think. There we go. Here we go. Ready? Ready? And the God of all grace 
who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. He's writing it down. He's getting passionate here at the end. He's encouraged us about being a part of the flock. And he's mindful of all the suffering, being a part of the flock. But, you know, be wise and to being under the good shepherds and to be able to be a good leader yourself. Good disposition. And then watch out for the danger. But then he comes and he just wipes it full with the glory. When's the last time you spent some time thinking about the glory that will be revealed before you? And, can I say this? The glory that will be revealed in you on the final day. All sin will pass. All brokenness will pass. We will be given new bodies and a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new community, we will live in rich community with the Father in the heavens and a new earth. Pain will be no more. There will be purpose and direction, unfeathered opportunity. I'm not going to park and spend much time here, but there is an analogy that C.S. Lewis gave in a book he wrote called The Great Divorce. And have you ever read it? It talks about a tourist. A tourist being on a journey to hell. And when he gets to hell, he's in a city that has a bunch of identical houses side by side, stacked really close to one another on these streets. The weather is sort of weary, uh, dreary, and rainy. And he starts to realize that this place that he's, he's touring is hell. He thought there would be people that he could see that it would be really populated. And so he goes and he looks and there's no one there and looks, no one's there. And he finally, it's like, where, where is everybody at? He finds that one straggler person here, another straggler person here. He finally comes across someone and he says, well, where are people at? I thought I would see different people. You know, he said, I thought maybe I could see Napoleon and some of these people. I, 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 I picked to come as a tourist here to hell because I thought there'd be a lot of people and people I know and that kind of stuff, right? And the guy says, well, here's what happens here. What happens here is that someone moves into a house when they come. But then they get in a bickering fight with their neighbor and they're bothered by that person. They don't want to be around that person, so they move and build out further. And then they come across someone else and they don't like that, so then they move and they build out further. And they build out further. And this picture, this analogy of hell, of what C.S. Lewis gives, is not this great, rich, loving community that's caring for one another, watching over one another, walking with humility and a disposition of love and gratitude and, and protecting and caring for people and engaged with laughter and everything. That's not the picture of hell. The picture of hell is isolation. Of people being so divided and at one another that they just keep moving further and further out. And so he lands in this touristy town, he thinks, of hell. And it's vacated. Why? Because the adversary wants to isolate us from the flock and the body and the richness of Christ. Friends, we have a Savior. His name is Jesus. And he is the head of his church, whom he loves 
And if you want to love Jesus, you love his church, broken and all in this life. But the church is the assembly that will be called out for eternity. And it will be a rich, beautiful, dynamic, loving community. And we get to try to practice that here on earth until our chief shepherd comes again. But the glory that will happen then is incredible. And that glory is not just around us and in the chief shepherd. That glory will be in us. And so he exhorts us at the end of this letter to be mindful. To be mindful. You will have suffering in this life. But there's a day coming when he will wipe away every tear from your eye. And in that day, may you look back on this day. And be pleased with how you journeyed. And so he finishes out and just simply says, Peace to all of you who are in Christ. I want to close here this morning by asking a group of individuals to come before us and to lead us in a prayer for us as a church body. To lead us as a prayer for church body and, and also to pray for the offering. We don't pray for the offering much. The provision of God is not to make us look bigger, better. It's for the provision of caring and supporting the ministry of God as we move it forward. But as we stand here on the precipice of uh, sort of moving through some busy weeks this summer, I thought it would be good to have the pastors come up front. So I'm going to ask Pastor Trey and Pastor Zach, Pastor Oliver, if you would come. Because these are shepherds. These are overseers of God's flock. And then I would like to ask those uh, members of the governing board who are here, which includes the elders, if you would come and stand here at the front. And um, I need one of those microphones. Um, oh, he's got it. Because I'm going to ask uh, Bro Newman, as one of our elders, to pray over us as a church body. Because as we finish out this letter to 1 Peter, I want us to take all the riches of it and apply it to our life. You know, he started out the letter so strong that we have a living hope. We have a living Savior. Our hope is not in somebody that's dead and gone. He's alive. And that living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ can be applied to all of our lives. And so... As this group of leaders stands before you, I'm mindful there's many other leaders here. There's a small group leaders. There's leaders with our children and with our students. But as representatives, Bro Newman is one of our elders, and I love Bro. He's got a heart. He'll just text me a prayer every now and now. You did now and then. You did it this week. Yeah. Just praying for your pastor. He's he's practicing his job of being an overseer and praying for his pastor. For Oliver, who truly has a shepherd's heart. He oversees the flock, not just the kids, but a bunch of other people. Trey, as some of you know, Trey's new to our staff, and Trey is pastor of counseling, and otherwise he's doing a lot of things. He's running tech today. Um, it's been one of the greatest gifts God's given to this body in recent months. His heart to come and to serve the body of Christ and engage in some of the challenges and the dynamics of each of our families and our lives. Pastor Zach, as you know, has, he sort of a, does all kinds of things around here. I'm blessed to be able to serve with 
my son, in a pastoring capacity. And to see his heart for people grow. His heart was there for the students. His heart's there for the young marriage, families, him and his wife, Britt, serving together. And I, it's a beauty to see that. Be, and it's not something that I take lightly as a pastor because I know the ups and downs of being a shepherd. He's like, are you sure you want to do this? He still sometimes, I'm sure. Adriana, I sometimes refer to Adriana as the poster child of this church body. She came to us as a broken single mom of three kids and a special needs child and desperately seeking for God. And over these years to see God's glory work in her life and transform her, it's been a beautiful, beautiful thing. And she prays and she cares and she guides in all different kinds of circles. Dave, Dave Philos has um, become a brother to me because he gets it. He gets church. He serves. Dave and uh, his wife Sue, they, 20 years they've served in infants, right? And they're back at it again here. But Dave oversees 150 people as vice president of a company. That's what he would but, And he would serve in that kind of capacity? He's also our treasure here, but Dave has got a heart for the body of Christ. And when his family came, it was a gift to us a few years back. Debbie Parnacki and Debbie and Tom, I guess they probably carry the badge of being here the longest almost. And uh, I remember when I first came to this church and Debbie shared her heart with me. And she shared her concern about the church being healthy. And if we weren't looking for leading this body into a place of health, sustaining health, then she thought maybe there'd be another body. And she has faithfully served. She leads one of the women's Bible studies and she has been a dear friend to our family, her and Tom as well. Frank Johnson. Frank's like, what's Carrie going to say about me? (laughs) Frank keeps us wired in our meetings. Not just technically, but he also keeps us wired, thinking critically. And I've seen this man through ups and downs and brokenness in his own life sustain his commitment to the flock and rise to a level of shepherding within the flock. That um, I don't say it much to you, Frank, but I'm awed by a man that's come through the journey that you've had and had the devotion that you have to give to this body. And Josh is anchoring the end there. Josh England is our vice chair. Uh, he quietly plays the drums over here some Sundays. But he's a steady hand and a steady guide and a brother in the faith. Not just for me, but for all of you. He and his family, Heather over here, and all, they've journeyed and they've journeyed with the ups and downs of this body through the years. But the faithfulness of him to care and support and to give his wisdom and guidance is a gift to this body. Carol Scholl is a part of our board as well. She's not able to be with us. She's with a family function today over in OC. But Carol, if I could just say this, Carol, Adriana, and Debbie, it's a beauty to have female leadership and overseeing and helping encourage and guide this this church family. Because there's stuff, us as men, we just don't see it. But they see it. And they say, hello, But we are blessed with them in the leadership tier.
I, I want bro to pray for us as a church family. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up because we're going to head out of here, not on a somber note, but we're going to kick up that banjo again because Greg England loves to kick the banjo and we love to hear him kick it. And we're going to have a Father's Day gathering out there with dad's root beers for everybody. And there's other drinks if you're not into soda, that's fine. Um, But I want us to pray um, as we close out this part and then receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. But bro, would you also not just pray for us as a body, but pray for us as a church as it relates to financial resources. You need to know that I am the only full-time staff person at this church. And there's other staff individuals represented here that serve, the, the board serves out of the volunteerism of their own heart. But there are expansive things that we need to do and for us to just take it before the Lord, for us to sustain the financial strength and the giving to God's work through the summer for us as a church. So, bro, pray for us. And I'm going to invite you to stand in reverence as we pray before the Lord, as we finish out this unshakable series, Hope in Uncertain Times, that God would allow us to persevere as a local flock in this community for the days ahead, loving, caring, reaching out, supporting one another. And may we find ourselves this summer caught up in His glory as His glory has been expressed to us, through us, to those who are in need. Bro. Good morning, God. We're awed by the fact that there is a group of people inside of this, this church that have answered their calling. This entire congregation that's here today, like Pastor Terry said today, God, that have made a different decision, maybe barbecued or gone to the beach or done something different. But the families that came together here today to hear this message today, God, we ask that that message would resonate in their hearts. Each one of us has a calling. And like we said today in the previous service today, God, we would, we would ask that you would bless us and guide us and give us the tenacity and the willingness and the, and, the, and, the, and the vision to be able to supersede anything that wants to interfere from the adversary that would take us in a different direction than what our calling may be as, as, as shepherds and part of the flock. I love the fact that we're in a hospital room full of broken people. Mm-hmm. I love that part of the, the sermon today, God. We thank you for the, the wisdom and the leadership of Pastor Terry. We thank you for the leadership of the team that's assembled here in front of you today. God, we are we are humbled at the fact that we're even that we're even asked to serve these that Ask um, the ushers to come and receive the Lord's tithes and offerings.